The following audio is from Redeemer Anglican Church in Richmond, Virginia. More information about Redeemer is available online at RedeemerRVA.org. Oh God, you have rejected us, broken our defenses. You have been angry. Oh, restore us. You have made the land to quake. You have torn it open. Repair its breaches, for it totters. You have made your people see hard things. You have given us wine to drink that made us stagger. You have set up a banner for those who fear you, that they may flee to it from the bow, that your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer us. God has spoken in his holiness. With exultation, I will divide up Sheshem and portion out the veil of Succoth. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim is my helmet, Judah is my scepter, Moab is my wash basin, upon Edom I cast my shoe, over Philistia I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have you not rejected us, O God? You do not go forth, O God, with our armies. O grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. With God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now let's stand together for the reading of the gospel. If you still have a Bible in hand, you're going to flip uh, forward a few pages to page 901. It says 828 in your liturgy, but that's not right. We're going to page 901, which will take you to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. We're going to start reading in verse 25. Dear friends, this is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Now rise, let us go from here. Friends, this is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Amen. Let's be seated. It's my pleasure to introduce to you uh, my friend, Pastor Claude Acho. Claude, if you can come on up. Uh, many of you, if you've been around Redeemer for any length of time, will know that every summer it's, it's our practice for me to take an extended step back from preaching regularly in order to spend some concerted time over the summer in prayer and study and strategy and careful preparation for the year ahead. So during these weeks of the summer, I'm doing a lot of reading and a lot of studying, prepping, um, figuring out what kind of sermon series we're going to do for the next nine months, beginning in the fall semester, um, and also just thinking and praying carefully about where our church is right now and what the Lord might do amongst us uh, and desire to do amongst us in the year ahead. Now, in order to give time to that, um, I take a step back from preaching, and so we have folks both from inside and outside of our parish step into the pulpit and preach, and that's good for a number of reasons. 
Um, not the least of which is that it's good for us to hear from a plurality of voices from this pulpit. You know, if, you're ever, if you've been in a church before where just one person preaches every single week, it gets a little monotonous, doesn't it? So this is a, a lovely break for all of you who are a little tired of hearing from me. Um, I see that hand. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, but you know what? It's also good for another reason. It's really good for me to sit under somebody else's teaching. My heart needs that. I need to hear God's word opened and exposited and preached by somebody else. And so I'm going to sit right down here and I'm going to take notes while Claude comes and preaches on Psalm 60 to us. Uh, Claude is in the ordination process uh, to become an Anglican priest. He is planting a church, Church of the Resurrection in Charlottesville, just an hour down the road. Um, He is also the author of a book that has just come out uh, this year, just a few months ago. This is called Reading Black Books, How African-American Literature Can Make Our Faith More Whole and Just. Um, And he's actually going to give a lecture on that tonight um, at the parish house. Claude, we're so glad that you're here. Thank you for coming. Can I say a prayer for you? Gracious Father, thank you for my friend and my brother and my co-laborer, Claude. I pray that you would Speak through him to us this morning. Would you open our ears and our hearts and our minds to receive your word to us through your servant, Claude. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor Dan. It's a joy to be with you all this morning. Uh, So I bring greetings from Church of the Resurrection uh, to all of you. And also uh, want to uh, shout out my family uh, who is here, my wife, Kelsey, uh, my children, Julian, Adrian, and Tatum, that they're there if you guys want to wave. Uh, that they're there here as well. Okay, clap for them. Um, it's a joy to be with you all this morning, and I'm excited to, uh, to continue to worship together now as we turn our attention to God's Word and Psalm 60. Um, I, I will say that uh, as I was studying and preparing for Psalm 60, um, as a uh, person who is formed in good and in not so good ways by uh, the genre known as hip hop, there was a phrase that immediately uh, came into my mind through, through this preparation. Uh, you, you may know uh, Jay-Z, who you probably better know as Beyonce's husband, uh, is an artist who uh, had, had a, fra- a catchphrase um, that he would sort of use as an ad lib uh, in some of his songs in the kind of mid early uh, 2010s. And it was this phrase that he would say, uh, and the phrase was, I will not lose. I will not lose. So he'd pepper that all over the place and kind of ad libs before songs. Uh, 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 you know, I will not lose all this sort of stuff. Uh, and it's interesting because I think what he was conveying by that is that he's obviously, uh, he won't lose. He's, he's unstoppable. He's incapable of loss. He's always winning when it comes to him and other rivals uh, on the pop charts or other rivals in his genre. He, he will not lose. Um, I will not lose. And it, it really, it, it, it came to mind as I was preparing and working on uh, the sermon for Psalm 60, because that whole posture, I will not lose, is really what Israel is experiencing in Psalm 60. You, you'll notice as you were looking at it in the Bible, if you had it open, uh, you'll notice that before verse one, there's this inscription. Uh, this is one of the longer inscriptions that, that says for us that this is to be played to particular music, that this is for the instruction of the people. And so this Psalm, like all Psalms, were for the prayers of the people of God, the singing of the people of God regularly to, to teach them, to form them and to instruct them. And in Psalm 60, this psalm that is uh, plunging us into this sense of despair and decay, it came at a time where Israel thought, we will not lose. The inscription draws us back, actually, to another portion of, of the Bible, 2 Samuel 8, where all Israel is doing is not losing. 
in other words, and all they're doing is winning. They're, they're conquering the land that God has promised to them. They finally have a good King David who is expanding the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Israel, in order that they would inherit the land and then bless the world from that land. And so they're winning and they're moving and they're gaining ground and they're, they're setting up what God has called them to set up. And then in the midst of all of that, they have unexpected disaster and devastation. And we get Psalm 60. What is likely happening from this inscription is that as Israel is winning, moving and gaining ground at a northern territory, from the south comes their, their enemy, an idolatrous people and nation, Edom, to come and, and invade and destroy and break apart uh, the lives and the land and the people of Israel. And you can hear this sort of desperation in the first three verses of Psalm 60. You can hear it made clear that Israel, they finally got a good king. They are finally fulfilling their purpose. They're finally entering the land from which they're supposed to bless the whole world. And now, unexpectedly, they face disaster. To the point, as we heard from the psalm, disaster to the point that they cry out, led by the voice of David, God, you have rejected us. Our land, our city, our lives are torn apart. We are crushed. And then I think the most pointed line there in verse three, you have made your people see hard things. I don't probably have to do a bunch of um, rhetorical gymnastics and preacherly flourishes and tear jerky illustrations to help you connect with that line. You have made us see hard things. Have we not all in our own individual way, but also in a shared way? Have we not all just over these last two or so years, have we not all seen hard things? I think personally, um, to a string of things that that came into our family's life just about two years ago, uh, obviously at the height of the pandemic, uh, we were uh, living in Tennessee at the time, we were uh, forced unexpectedly to move out of our home. Uh, How many of you know that moving is proof of a broken world? having to move. It is a, is a, especially when you don't want to. Uh, we're forced to move out of our home unexpectedly. Uh, our, our church couldn't meet be, uh, uh, because of uh, all, all of the uh, concerns, rightly so. And then finally, when we were able to meet for the first time outside, uh, our church gathered, able to meet again. Uh, my oldest son had an accident in which he falls, breaks his foot, and breaks his elbow. Uh, shortly after that, um, both of our cars uh, break down. Uh, and then after that, my mom had a stroke. And all at the same time, our church began to leak people and leak staff like a broken faucet. And I remember thinking uh, to myself, what have I I done, Lord? (laughs) Why why all of these hard things? I'm sure you, you have your own version of that, I'm sure. But I think maybe the clearer line of connection from Psalm 60 to, to, to you, to me, and to us is, is actually along the lines, not to discount the individual, but it's actually along the lines of the communal. It's actually along the lines of the people of God, Israel, the people of God, the church, the people of God. And when we think on the level of the church, uh, God's beloved but broken people, the statement rings true as well. The church has certainly of late seen hard things. Not, not all, but many. We, ha- we have many churches that are, that are split, many churches that are, that are shrinking, many churches that are divided, uh, many congregants that are bruised and wounded by the people meant to care for them. 
We have many pastors and clergy who are burnt out, are willing to sell phone books or anything other than to work in the church ever again. I've heard that from many friends. We've had many uh, abuses uh, unveiled and disclosed, thanks be to God. But, but certainly the church can also say, Lord, you have made us see hard things. And the first movement of, of Psalm 60, again, is written for instruction. It teaches us what to do when we see hard things on the level of the community, on the level of the church, on the level of the individual, on the level of family. What, what are we to do when we see hard things? Well, we're to do this. We are to lament our losses. The instruction of Psalm 60, alongside many other Psalms, the whole Psalter, is to keep it real and true with God. Do not stuff the pain, express it. Do not numb it, name it. But do so in a particular way. Do so through the language of lament. You notice this right away when you heard Psalm 60 read. You, you, you hear it in the first three verses. David leads, the, imagine this, David leads the people of God, a room like this, bigger, larger, in the temple, in the sanctuary, in the battlefield. He leads them to pray these sort of things. You, O oh God, have rejected us, broken our defenses. You have been angry with us, restore us. You have made your people see hard things. You have given us wine to drink that made us stagger, wine that feels like judgment and rejection. This is, this is what God's people are being taught to say and to pray. How does this language hit you? Some of us are so church that this language to us, it feels, it sounds like sin, but we know it's in the Bible, so it can't be sin, but we don't like it. Maybe you can't handle uh, the truth. Maybe you, you can't handle confrontation. But what we learn from the Psalms, the Father himself is teaching us. What we are to learn is that God can handle it. In fact, he, he invites it. He instructs and forms his people to name these sort of real and raw things before him. I wonder what, what losses, what hurts do you need to name truly and honestly to and before God? Lamenting, it should be, it should be noted, we, we need to know this, lamenting is not the same thing as venting. Venting will name the pain to anyone but God. Your mom, the cashier at Trader Joe's, maybe fling it out into the abyss of Twitter or Reddit or whatever your favorite internet platform is, right? But the true lesson that Psalm 60 instructs us in, again, to form us, the true lesson is that we take our losses and our hurts to God. I like the way uh, one pastor describes this, Mark Vrogop. He, He says that lament is prayer in pain that leads to trust. Prayer in pain that leads to trust. If I could remix it, I would say lament is prayer in pain that seeks to trust. We may not even be at the point of trust yet, but we're willing enough to just say, God, this hurts. It feels like you've rejected me. I need, I need help. Or, or Psalm, uh, Psalm, Psalm 13, just how long, O oh Lord? Or old Negro spiritual, Lord, I feel like a motherless child. Sometimes we're not even at the point of grabbing onto trust, but we're, we're seeking, we're trying. Lament is prayer in pain that seeks to trust. And, and you'll notice That lament shows us that God can handle that which seems to us to be contradiction. Did you hear this in in the psalm? David will say, Lord, you have rejected us. And then in the same breath, he will call himself and Israel your people. 
He'll say, God, you've rejected us, but then he'll say, we're your people. It sounds like things that contradict, but with God, we can bring this honesty. With God, we can bring this truthfulness. There is, we see in Psalm 60, an order to lament, a map, a a sort of step and pattern that we need to follow, and we need to seek the whole journey of lament, not just a portion of it. And we need to be careful that we don't fall off one ditch or another. Some people, maybe some of us, fail to enter into lament because we, we fail and we're afraid to be honest before God and even before ourselves. This is a failure on one side of the ditch. Others make the mistake that thinking lament is just pure honesty, pure venting, pure raw and real emotion, but they never turn to try to seek the real reward of building and seeking to trust in the Lord. This is a failure in the other direction. To speak the whole language of lament, we need to learn the vocabulary and the inclination and the cries of these first three verses, where David leads God's people to say, God, you've rejected us. God, please restore us. Prayer and pain that leads to trust. We are to lament our losses and bring them to God. You notice that as David laments in this raw and deep and open honesty, immediately things begin to shift. You notice that in these first three verses, lament is given in raw and vocal and deep guttural sort of cries. And then already in verses four and five, we see things begin to turn. David begins to realize and begins to lead the people to understand that, that the Lord gives a banner, a sort of a refuge to those who fear him. And then he cries out, God, would you save us by your strong right arm? We, we know from Psalm 16 and from the rest of the, of the scriptures that at the Father's right hand is Jesus. This is again pointing us to Christ, that it's under him that we find refuge. It's under him that we find comfort. It's him who is our deliverance. And as David begins to lay out the, the losses in the true language of lament, this turn begins to happen. And then as David begins to lament, all of a sudden in verses six through eight, uh, surprisingly, the Lord in his holiness speaks. So we get the lament of the people. And then God responds with words that are both tender. Here is a banner under which you can take refuge. And then also words that are ferociously faithful. We hear that when the Lord begins to uh, outline what feels to us like a, like a map quiz. Shechem is mine. Sukkoth is mine. I'll divide them. These are my portions. The Lord is essentially saying this. I'm strong. Everything is mine and I am true to my promises. The Lord catalogs a, a, a list of places that to us feels foreign, but to the people of Israel would be sacred. Shechem, Sukkoth, Manasseh, Ephraim. Judah, these are places and tribes of Israel that call the hearers all the way back to the very first promises God has given to these people to bless them and through their lineage to bring a whole blessing to the world. What God is doing is he's reminding his people that you think things are hard now, but remember the promise that I gave to those wayward people, Abraham, to that deceitful person, Jacob and Isaac. Remember those promises. Remember Manasseh and Ephraim. They came out of Egypt when your people cried out to me in slavery and I showed up strong to deliver them. This is what the Lord is calling his people back to, to remember that the whole world is his and he's true to his promise. So we lament our losses to God. And as we do so, we also take this instruction that the Lord speaks. We lament our losses and we listen to his promise. 
And that the heart of God's promises is not just what God will do, but it's actually God himself. This is of particular note, I think, that, that we hear in verse 6 that God speaks in his holiness with exaltation. He speaks with a voice of triumph. And this is the reason that we can know that our lament doesn't hit the ceiling and die. It's the reason that we can know that our losses will not have the final word on us. It's the reason that we can see hard things and yet still move in this world with a true and tangible sense of hope, albeit maybe a small one in the moments. We can know all of those things because of the holiness of God. I wonder if that sounds strange to you. That is the holiness of God that helps us know all of these things. Often we think about God's holiness as his separation from sin, which is actually true, uh, moral perfection. Uh, We often think about God's holiness as his transcendence, that he's a a one of one set apart as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is absolutely true as well. But here we see in Psalm 60 that God's holiness is also good news in this sense, that it is relational. That God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in all of his perfections, binds himself to the world in love and commitment. Binds himself in all his perfections to you. This is part of his holiness. This is all over Psalm 60. We already mentioned David is able to say, you rejected us, but we're still your people. This is bound in holiness. This is why David is also able to say, we're your beloved ones. They're bound in holiness to God. This is also why God raises up a banner, a place of refuge for his people, for those who fear him. You see, no matter what you tell yourself or what you think experiences preach to you, you must remember that God is bound to us and we are bound to him, not by our merit, but by his holy mercy, which cares for us. You must know this. Experience will have us think that we are actually not bound to God, that God actually is rejecting us, that when we see hard things, God must be opposed to us. Certainly for Israel, this would have felt like the case because they lived in a particular time of redemptive history where God with them would mean that they won battles and God against them would mean that they lost battles probably because of some sort of sin. We, we live in a different era under the era of, of God revealed through Christ. Things are a little bit different for us, but nonetheless, we live in a world broken by sin, fractured by evil, fractured by people turned in on themselves, us included, to the point that we often feel as if we we go through life knowing in theory God is for us, but experience it feels like he's against us. Therefore, when we experience losses, self-inflicted, others-inflicted, world-inflicted losses, we don't even know how to categorize. When we experience losses in which our human nature makes us think God is fundamentally rejecting us, we need our losses to become interpreted by his promises. This is what happens in verses six through eight. David laments truly and honestly. God says, I can handle it, bring it. Not only can I handle it, I'm gonna record this so all my people for all time until Jesus restores everything will actually take these accusations against me and they'll sing them and pray them. That's how much God can handle this. And God says, as you do that, vent, let it known to me. It's not venting, it's lamenting. Give it to me. Speak it truly. And as you do that, I will speak to you. 
And my promises will reinterpret your experience so that you can move forward in faith and strength. So lament, yes, but also listen to the promise. Shechem, that was given to Jacob. He didn't deserve it. It was given as blessing. The land flowing with milk and honey. Lament, but listen to this promise. Lament and listen to his promise. The world feels like it's on fire, does it not? Lament and yet listen to the promise. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. Lament, yes, but listen to the promise. If God is for us, who can be against us? Lament, yes, but listen to the promise. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What about for the church? Yes, lament, but listen to the promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lament, yes, but listen to the promise as we heard from our gospel reading. God will give us, Jesus will send us the comforter, the spirit who will guide us into all truth. Lament, yes, but listen to the promise. The gates of hell will not prevail against Christ's people, the church. The Holy One has spoken, folks. And he is bound to his word. He is bound to you. He is bound to his people in mercy, love, and he is bound joyfully with delight in order to carry us from our brokenness up and into victory. This is what happens in the third movement of the psalm. This movement into to action. The devastation of loss, the cry of lament, the reply of the promise for Israel these aren't hypothetical things. These are, these are very real, for, real things for them because they're being invaded by, by countries and people that want to kill, steal, and destroy. They have a real enemy. Uh, you have a real enemy as well. I have a real enemy as well. Satan, the flesh, and the devil. We, we have real enemies. And, and, and the sort of uh, rubber hits the road when Israel has to decide how are we going to go up to, to Edom and to defend ourselves. That's why the psalm says, well, who will lead us up to this city? Edom, as I, um, as I found as I was studying this, uh, was a uniquely fortified place, a, a lofty sort of mountaintop fortress, this city uh, called, uh, in this area called Petra, which you can Google and see images of. Uh, I promise I did more research than, than one Google search, but you can also do that and, and see, see what this place looks like. And this would be a place that in order to attack this place and to defend themselves, they would have to go up a narrow, narrow road in which their enemies from the high top fortress could see them. And, and naturally, if you're being uh, spotted out as you attack and you can only bring one or two horses through this narrow alleyway at a time, naturally, this is a sign of sure defeat. This is not a, this is not a military strategy for success. This is a, this is a loss, easily. And so David is, is calling out, well, how, how are we going to do this? Who, who is going to lead us up? And then here comes the hinge verse in verse 11. Lord, grant us help against our foe, for vain is salvation through man. Essentially, what, what David is saying is this, and it's the sort of golden lesson of this psalm, that whatever battle you face, you are not self-made, self-rescued, or self-saved. It is God and God alone who delivers, who repairs, and who restores. We have to get to the end of ourselves so that we can lean with full body weight upon him. I mentioned uh, uh, good formation and bad formation through the wonderful genre of hip-hop. Uh, verse 11 makes me think of another song that I know very well, and I know uh, Pastor Dan knows as well, too, is from, from the first service. is a song by Tupac Shakur called Me Against the World. 
And in the song, he says, it's me against the world. I got nothing to lose. It's me against the world. It's sort of standing on my own two feet. It's, I am all that I have. It sort of depends all on me. Psalm 60 wants to form us in the opposite direction. It wants to form us to recognize that every time that this song is sung in in the temple of God's people, every time that that we think about the losses that we face, uh, it is not us against the world, but it is God battling with us against whatever we face in order that we might become a blessing to the world through him. This is the lesson you must take to heart. This is what's true for us through the gospel of Jesus. And so, friends, I don't know what battle it is that, that you're facing. I don't know if it's a, a battle to, to make ends meet. I mean, I've seen gas prices. It certainly probably is that. I, I don't know if it's a battle for, for your marriage. I don't know if it's a battle against a particular sin or, or addiction. But if you are looking in the mirror or looking around from other people for wisdom and for deliverance, you, my friends, are already on the brink of defeat. Instead, come to the end of yourselves and look to the Holy One who binds himself to you in mercy and strength. This is where we win. This is where we're carried forward. We need to come to the point where we come to the end of ourselves and so then we can lean on the promise of the God who cares for us. And then we get verse 12. With God, we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. We heard it from our gospel reading. He will lead us by his spirit. He will guide us by his grace. He will lead us by his word. The holiness of God means that even devastation will somehow, some way, give way to victory. How can this be? The realists among us ask, how how, how can this be? Well, we have to, to see how this can be, we have to go to how God has spoken to the world through a cross. It's actually the pattern of the cross that's contained in Psalm 60. You see, the great loss of Jesus Christ, the great moment that looked like utter defeat, Christ crucified on a Roman tree, turns out to not just be a moment of failure, but a moment of victory. That through the death of Jesus, through the one who comes from the line of David, the one who on the cross cried out the words of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you rejected me? It's through his rejection in that moment that is actually an act of triumph for the nations who had turned away from God for you and for I. And it's through that death, that atonement, and through his resurrection that we know the Holy One is not just with us, but with and for the world and will lift us up into victory. Yes, we will lose but God will repair and restore. Yes, we will stumble, but God will lead us into victory. Our losses lead us to the ends of ourselves, which lead us to rely on his promise alone, which at the right time, because of the work of Jesus, lifts us into the fullness of life. This is our hope. Vain is the hope of trust in self or man. But with God, we will endure and do valiantly. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks that through the victory of your son, we can know that we are more than conquerors. We can know that nothing separates us from your love, 
and we have the gift of your spirit to lead us and to guide us. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to bring our lament and our losses to you. Lord, would you help us to not look to ourselves for rescue or deliverance, but to cling to you and your promises. And Lord, we ask that you would do this in the hearts of each person in this room, that you would lead us into your holy love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.